Father, thanks for, thanks for a time that we can just gather together and celebrate your gift. Father, as, as, we, as we head towards Christmas, as we head towards the celebration of your son's birth, Father, may, may we just pause this morning and be reminded of everything that you've given us. And Father, our hearts this morning, for some of us, they may be heavy. Father, as we head into a Christmas season and the circumstances of our life are filled with conflict and sorrow and loss and pain. Father, I pray for those of us that may be in that moment. Father, I pray this morning that you would renew our strength, that you would renew our hope, that you would give us peace, that our eyes would be firmly fixed upon you. And that though the storms of life rage, we would keep focused on you. Knowing that just as you came once, you will return to take us home. And Father, I pray for those who maybe everything in life is going great. We're headed towards a Christmas season and it seems like everything is just working out so great in our life. Father, I pray the temptation to to search for peace in the external things of this world. Father, I pray that we would be reminded that true peace can only be found in the receipt of your gift. Father, open our eyes and our hearts today. Renew our spirits today. Grow us, shape us, mold us, and transform us through your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, you may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Hillside Fellowship. Uh, If you are a guest or in a visitor and I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Alan Anderson. I'm one of the pastors on staff and I get the opportunity to fill in for Dave this morning. And uh, we are working our way through the Advent season. And last week we kind of started looking at Advent and we're going to continue that on through our services. And so last week, Pastor Dave shared with us kind of a, a, a theme of Advent, if you will. And, and what we talked about was this idea of a life filled with gratitude. Now, gratitude is an interesting thing because I don't know about you, but I know in my heart, I long to be grateful. But oftentimes in my life, whether it's driving on Highway 281 or, or standing in a self-checkout line at Home Depot or Costco or wherever it is, oftentimes I don't live out of gratitude. Oftentimes my life lives out of grumbling and complaining. So much so that, again, I don't know about you, I'll just speak for me, I can grumble and complain when I am by myself. It's really a fascinating thing. I, I think it's everybody else's fault, but even when I'm by myself, I can, like, man, I can grumble and complain really well. And so as we think about this life of gratitude and pursuing gratitude, oftentimes the more we pursue it, the less we have it. Because as Pastor Dave walked us through, if we want to live a life of gratitude, it's really not something we pursue in and of itself. It's a byproduct. And so each each Sunday as we go through Advent, we're looking at the kind of the key ingredients that leads to a life of gratitude. And last week, Pastor Dave shared and he talked about this idea of hope. What you hope in is what you'll live for. And, And if you find true hope, it leads to gratitude. And anything that you put your hope in in this world apart from Jesus Christ will always lead you to a life of grumbling and complaining. And this week, we're going to look at this idea of peace, a life of peace. And so if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 to 21, we read it earlier. We're going to kind of walk through this benediction. So open your Bibles there. And as we do that, when we think of this topic of peace, peace is really an interesting thing because if you look at our world, if you look at our lives, peace is something we all long for but yet we never obtain. I mean, we all, as long as humans have been around, we've all longed for peace, but yet we've never obtained it. We will wear ourselves out. We will strive. We will pursue so many things in this world, trying to find peace externally, but peace can never truly be found externally. Peace is always purchased and it's always received internally. So we, we, we get on this, this treadmill or we get into this race where we're constantly pursuing 
peace and yet never obtaining it. About a month ago, I shared with you guys when I was up here, I shared with you probably what I had at the time thought was the craziest um, race or athletic endeavor I'd ever come across. It was a 600-mile race in Australia. I thought for sure that was the craziest uh, competition you could ever imagine until this week. I found, I think, which I think is one that's even crazier. I I have a short video clip I'll show you, but just to set it up, there is a race that takes place in England. It's a very short race. It's actually a downhill race. And the object of the race is to beat a block of cheese down a hill. The first person down the hill gets the block of cheese. It's, it's called the cheese roll or the cheese run, the Cooper's Hill cheese run. And I wish I could explain to you exactly what this race is, but it's best just to show you. So I've got a short clip here to, to show you what this race is. So that's a cheese roll. Now, it would be easy for me to be up here and to, to mock all of those people. So easy. But reality, when I watch that video, I don't know about you, but I'm just messed up enough. Part of me's like, that would be a lot of fun. I think I'd like to try that. I'd end up in the hospital, but it'd be, it'd be fun, at least for the first couple of seconds. But I show you that video because when we think of peace, I think our, our lives oftentimes resemble that. We have this elusive thing called peace, and we are running with everything we got after it to try to obtain it, yet we never truly get it. And in the process, we often end up with brokenness. And as I share that, I think perhaps there's no better time than the Christmas season. Because if you guys are like me, it's it's during Christmas when perhaps it's the worst. I think of some of our families and, and, and all of the things that we have to get set, the traditions that have to be just right, the tree, the ham, the turkey, the families, all of this that has to be just right so that Christmas morning or Christmas Eve, depending on how you celebrate it, is perfect peace. But oftentimes, it's not. We just want to get through it. We get to the actual celebration. We can't wait till it's over. But yet we will spend the entire month from Thanksgiving to Christmas Day pursuing this thing of peace and we never ever get there. And so I thought maybe that would be what kind of helpful as we look through it was I'm going to show you one more clip of this cheese roll, but I thought I'd add a little Christmas spirit to you or to it so you can see. So go ahead, run that clip. Now, I I am so thankful that when I was younger, like YouTube wasn't around because I I would be all over the internet doing dumb stuff like that. But yet, all joking aside, right, don't our lives often resemble that? Don't we get through the Christmas season and we get into January and we just feel bruised and broken? 
We just feel that we did all of this work, everything, all of this effort, striving for something. What was it? I mean, we, for some of us, we're actually successful. We get the block of cheese and we hold it up Christmas morning and we're like, yay, a block of cheese. For what? We can spend our entire lives pursuing peace externally and never getting it internally. And I think as we walk through this passage, this benediction that the author gives us in Hebrews, I think he's going to unpack what I would call as a path towards peace. A, a, a path that will show us where true peace can be found. Because the central truth is this. We live in a world that constantly pursues peace, never obtains it, never obtains it. And in fact, everywhere we look for it, in our world, in our community, in our families, in our own hearts, in our relationship with God, we never find it. But as we like to say at Hillside, Jesus changes everything. And if I could leave you with one message this morning, it would be this. There is a path to peace that leads us to the cross. It leads us to the Son of God. It leads us to the Prince of Peace who once and for all purchased peace for us so that we may be reconciled to God. We may be reconciled, created, what Paul says is a new creation, and that we can live our lives as his disciples with a peaceful presence. That's the message of peace. Now, also what's important to know is if, if you look at peace in Scripture, oftentimes what you come across is this. There's a contradiction to peace. Right? If you, if you look at peace in the Bible, oftentimes the proclamation of peace comes at a time when everything in that world at the moment is in conflict. Think about the book of Psalms. How many Psalms does David write talking about God, like my soul is at rest with you. You're the good shepherd. I can find peace with you. And yet we see when, when David's writing those Psalms, how many of those were written when a king was trying to kill him? How many times were those Psalms written when David had nothing Matter of fact, one of the most incredible Psalms, Psalm 16, when David talks about this idea of finding his rest in God, David writes that at a time when not only is Saul trying to kill him, but because Saul is trying to kill him, he has nowhere to go. In the 21st century, we call that being canceled. David couldn't go to any other king or any other kingdom or any other community or any other town. Nobody wanted to be near him. Nobody wanted to be around him because Saul was coming to kill him. He had nowhere to go. That's not a peaceful setting. And so how can David write these words of finding peace and rest? Fast forward to the Christmas story. Do you remember it? when the angels show up to the shepherds and what do they say? Goodwill towards men, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Do the angels not know what's going on? Do they not know what's about to happen? That Jesus who's born because he has no place, his parents have no place to go. He's literally born in a barn and shortly after he's born, they have to flee because King Herod is on a violent spree killing as many baby boys as possible. Peace on earth? That's not peaceful. Jesus, who spends his life with, with the rest of the Jewish world under the control of Rome, who seeks nothing else but to maintain control over Israel and will do so violently, that's not peace. That's conflict. That's war. It doesn't make any sense. Or maybe it's the Apostle Paul who writes his letters to the churches and he's doing it and he's talking about the God of peace. May the, may the peace that surpasses all understanding be in your hearts. Guard your hearts. And he's writing that from a jail cell. Knowing very well that his life is probably about to end. He's not free to go wherever he wants, whenever he wants. 
He has faced numerous beatings, beatings so severe that he, people thought he was dead. That's not peaceful. So what do we do with this contradiction in scripture when it says, have peace, but yet everything externally is not peaceful? It makes me think of the story of Horatio Spafford. I have a picture of him. You may or may not know who he is. Horatio Spafford lived in the 1800s, the late 1800s. He had a a family. He was a lawyer. He was a successful lawyer, uh, beautiful family, lived in Chicago. And in 1871, the great Chicago fire destroyed his house, burned his house, and destroyed his business investments. Left him basically without a house and pretty much left him broke. It, it knocked him to the ground. So much so that even two years later, he was still trying to recover with that. And so he decided to send his family to Europe. They were going to take a trip to Europe just to kind of clear their heads, reset, try to work their way through everything that had happened to them. But Horatio had to take care of some things. And so he sent his daughters and his wife ahead of him. And they crossed the Atlantic on a ship. And it was during that trip that the ship that his wife and his daughters were on had a crazy accident running into another boat. And the ship sank. And all of Horatio's daughters died tragically. And Horatio's wife, when she made it across or when she made it to land, all she could do was send a telegram back to Horatio and simply say, saved alone. What shall I do? When Horatio received that, he immediately, as quick as he could, boarded another ship to try to meet his wife over in Europe. And as they were sailing across, the captain who knew Horatio was on board, when they came to the very spot where they believed the ship had sunk, where he had lost his daughters, called for Horatio and said, I wanted you to know that this, we think this is the spot. It's not a peaceful life. It's not a peaceful setting. That's painful. The reason I tell you this story is Horatio Spafford, it was in that moment that he wrote the words which would become to him, it is well. It is well with my soul. How does that happen? How does that contradiction of a life of pain, of sorrow, of circumstances, of suffering, how does that exist for a Christ follower and yet the Christ follower have deep internal peace? How is that possible? Let's look at that. Hebrews 13, verse 20. The benediction starts this way. The author writes, and he says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Now we have to stop there because he says something at the beginning of this that is very interesting. He says, Now may the God of peace. Now if you're very logical, and maybe even an attorney or a background, you you would say, there's a problem here. He says, the God of peace. Well, yes. Yes. God is, if we read through scripture, one of the things we know, God is a God of peace, of perfect peace. Okay. He created all this? Yes, he's created the world. How could a peaceful God create such a violent world? There's a problem there. It's a great question. Because there is a problem there. It's called sin. You see, you and I, at our very core, we were created and designed for peace. That's why all of us spend our lives trying to obtain it, because we know somewhere deep down we still have the design of our creator upon us, and we were designed for a life of peace, peace within our hearts, peace with God the Father, and peace with each other. That's what we were designed for. The problem emerged when humanity decided hey, we want to go our own way. I love the way Paul writes in Romans 8, 7 through 8. I'll put it up on the screen. He says this, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul uses the word hostile. He's talking about conflict. What he is saying is humanity engaged in a cosmic conflict with God. And that has gone 
horrifically wrong for us. Because of our desire to go our own way, to figure it out on our own, we entered into a cosmic conflict with God. And out of that conflict came every conflict we have ever seen. Internally, externally, sin at its very core is conflict. We have a great word for it when we talk about things and we say that disintegrated, disintegrate. Integrate is something that is connected and whole. Disintegrate is literally to break it down molecularly at the fundamental level to break it apart. That's what sin has done to each one of us. See, we have a, we have a massive problem. Is that sin, as it works its way through our heart, has completely and utterly disintegrated our soul. You cannot, you cannot be at peace with God as long as you are at peace with sin. And my sin is so horrifically bad that my sin won't just destroy my soul, but it will destroy every relationship I am in given enough time. Sin is the most isolating force on the planet. But sin is really good because it often disguises us as community. It often disguises us as peace, as disguises itself as peace. Oftentimes, we live our lives, we we focus, we, we live our lives at peace with sin. And yet we wonder, why are we in constant conflict? So much of the conflict I have is because oftentimes I don't even have peace internally. Our problem, the reason we can't find peace is because we pursue it externally, but it can only be achieved or received internally. And so the author here in verse 20 starts out with this statement, now may the God of peace, acknowledging that our problem is that we are not a people of peace. But then he's going to offer us hope. Because after, after declaring that the God of peace, he says, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the, by the blood of the eternal covenant. See, here's the really, really good news. Is that we can have peace with God. Peace with God is possible. But here's what we have to know. Because we've engaged in cosmic conflict with God, it requires cosmic peace. And if, you, if, if we learn anything about history, if we look throughout the history of humanity, one thing is true about conflict. Peace out of conflict is always costly. Peace is always purchased, whether that's on a international scale or it's even with my own wife and kids. Peace is purchased. It must cost something. If you want peace, it is going to cost something. And cosmic peace requires a cosmic price, a price that you and I, we can't even remotely begin to touch. So if we, if we live in the reality of this problem that nothing in our world, nothing in our lives, nothing in our hearts is at peace by nature, then how can we ever purchase the peace required to find peace with God? The beautiful story is that God knows that. That is the essence of the Christmas story is that God loved his creation so deeply and he knew because of what creation did, the conflict that resulted, and he knew that there is no way his creation could ever purchase that peace. That God in his deep love for his creation said, I will purchase it. I'll send my son and he will pay the ultimate price to purchase that peace. And our hope today 
as followers of Christ. Our faith today as followers of Jesus rests upon the reality that because of what Jesus did on the cross, what he did for us in our place, he purchased a peace that is eternal and everlasting. That if we put our faith in him, that if we put our surrender in him, through Jesus Christ, we can have true and lasting peace. See, peace is always purchased and it always starts internally. For some of us, we've been spending all of our lives looking externally, but you can't, you can't get it there. It's received internally through the work of Jesus Christ. I love the way Colossians 1, 19 through 20, Paul says it this way. For in him, all the fullness of God, he's talking about Jesus, was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Each one of us can have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. So where do we go from there? If we, if we find the solution to the problem, what do we do with that truth? Once we put our faith in Jesus Christ, where do we go from there? Well, let's go to the next part of the benediction. The author writes, after he says, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything that you may do his will. See, the peace that God purchases for us through Jesus Christ it doesn't just bring us peace with God, but that peace transforms us internally and in our own hearts. Here's what I mean by that. Many of us live our lives, when we're honest, with a war raging in our hearts. Oftentimes, as I go throughout the week, I do so with an incredible war waging in my heart. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way. He says, that which I do, I don't want to do, but that which I want to do, I don't do. And to put another way, that what I want to be, I'm not. And that which I'm not is what I want to be. I would describe the conflict that takes place in our heart this way. When we're by ourselves, when we're all alone, we're all aware of our brokenness, if we're honest. And the result of that awareness of brokenness always brings shame. When we're honest with ourselves, we know our brokenness. And when we know our brokenness, it always results in shame. Go back to the very beginning of the Bible. What is Adam and Eve's initial reaction once they come face to face with what they've done? It's shame, hiding. You see, you and I, we live in the painful reality that we're broken, that we're a mess, that we're addicts, that we're liars, that we're cheats. But we also learn very quickly how to cope with that. Most of us learn at a very young age how to cope with that. And how most of us choose to cope with that is we create an entirely different version of ourself that we want everybody to see. That I want everybody to see. I don't want you guys to know just how deeply broken I am. So I come over here and I create an entirely different version of myself that is good and kind and strong and confident. This false self, if you will. And I give everything I have into manufacturing this, this idea, this perfect self that the whole world should see because if they see that version of me, they'll reject me. But if they see this version of me, they'll accept me. And here's where the conflict ensues. Those two versions of ourselves never coexist. We constantly move back and forth. 
because we can't be this perfect version that we want the world to see. The reality is we're over here, we're broken. For me, one of the ways this played out at a very early age, when I was born, uh, I don't have the medical term for it, but the doctors, essentially what I had in my sternum, because of the way my muscles grew, my sternum grew in kind of inward. And so my chest was concaved. My ribs kind of stuck out. And as a little baby, as a young kid, I, I didn't know any different. My parents actually took me to the doctor to find out, like, does this need to be fixed? And at the time, in the early 1980s, there was only one surgery to fix it. It was incredibly invasive, and it was incredibly painful. And the doctor said, let's just watch it. If it doesn't affect his internal organs, it's not worth going through this incredibly painful process. I didn't know anything until somewhere in elementary school. I remember the first time somebody else saw my chest and the way it was shaped and they laughed at me. And I learned a very painful lesson that day. Don't, don't ever let someone really see who you are. Because they'll laugh at you. They'll reject you. And my guess is, is if each one of us started sharing, we would all have some story, some lesson that we were taught at a very young age that said, hey, don't ever let them see who you really are. So out of that, man, I made sure no one was ever going to see that. Big shirts, jackets, cover it up. Don't ever let anyone see that. For some of us, it may be external. For some of us, it may be internal. But we all live in that deep reality. We all live with shame. To be human is to live with some degree of shame. So what do we do with that? Where do we go with that? How do we cope with that? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You see that, that peace that Jesus purchased for us is so incredible. It doesn't just give us peace with God. As Paul, as he writes in this benediction about us being equipped for every, with everything good, equipped with everything good, you need to know this, the transformational work that Jesus Christ does in our hearts is so incredible. It doesn't just fix us. It doesn't just put a Band-Aid over what's wrong. It doesn't just surgically repair it. It doesn't ignore it. It's buried with Christ and out of it comes a new creation. As Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ Jesus who lives within me. Some of us, we need to know that truth this morning, that whatever shame, whatever guilt, whatever pain you've been carrying, you need to know that the path of peace, which leads to the cross of Jesus Christ, not only does he purchase our peace with God, but he completely creates a new creation in us. So that instead of the name loser or liar or cheat or addict or coward, Jesus gives us a new name. And he looks at us and he says, you're so worth it. I love you so much. And because of me and because of my spirit living in you, you're not a coward. You're brave. You're strong. You're beautiful. You're worth the price I paid. See, we can never find peace in our hearts until we come face to face with that reality that God knows every ounce of shame we carry and it does not deter him from loving us. 
It does not matter what you've done. Know this, there is not a thing in this world which you have done that is beyond the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Say that again. Let this rest in your soul. There is not a thing you have done. There is not a thing, a shame, and there is not a thing that could have been done to you that is beyond the redemptive, transformational work of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. In Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. That conflict in your soul can finally end, and you can be at peace knowing I'm not the broken self, and I'm not this idealistic false self. I'm a new self, as Paul says. So what do we do with that? Where do we go from that with this path towards peace? If we realize the problem we had, and then we know that God, that Jesus purchased us peace with God, and that transforms our heart and so that we have peace internally, what does that look like lived out? And I think we're going to look at peace with others next. The benediction continues in verse 21. After after Paul saying he's equipped us with everything good that you may do as well, he says, working in us. This is active, working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight. You see, internal peace always shows up externally. You guys, have have you ever been around a truly peaceful person, a person who has an incredibly calm presence, there's something supernatural about them, especially when when the circumstances of their life are chaos. How can you be that peaceful? Paul says it's, it's it's the peace that surpasses all understanding. I would call it gospel peace. It's this calm presence found and a trust of Jesus Christ. It's this calm presence. See, often my conflict is driven by a desire to find my peace externally, but when I find my peace internally, when I find my peace on the acceptance of what Jesus Christ purchased for me, then I can find peace externally. A great illustration of this and since we're talking about peace, we'll, I'll, I'll institute a little conflict here. We're at Christmas season. How many of y'all are real Christmas treeers? You know what I'm talking about. Like, it's got to be a real tree or it's not Christmas. Fair amount of those. How many of you guys are like, real tree, it's a fake tree. Fake tree's where it's at because it's easy. Yeah, at times we're, we're all over the place. So me grow, for me growing up, it was always a real tree. It was a real tree or nothing. And as a kid in the early 1980s, I don't see these anymore. I think it must have been a fad. It was probably really bad for us. It probably gave us all kinds of health issues. Does anybody remember the frosted trees? Yeah, those were big in South Texas. For us, for me at least, it was big. I loved the white frosted real tree because we didn't, at the time, this was like now the last two years, I don't know if we can say this anymore, we didn't get snow in South Texas. And so when you had a white tree with it looked like a little bit of snow on there, it's like we get Christmas and snow all in one. So I grew up, it was all about the real Christmas tree. And that was an incredible tradition. So I got married, we started having kids, and every year it was about the real Christmas tree. It was a big deal. And then last year happened. So last year I made the mistake, and I often do this in my life, I waited too long to go Christmas tree shopping. So I have a place, I'm not gonna tell you where it is because then I'll never be able to get a tree there again. But I had a, I had a place where it was always my go-to where I could get the Christmas tree. So I waited too long, went down there, guess what, no trees. Well, at this point, like we were, we were like two weeks away from Christmas. It's getting, it's getting serious, it's getting real. No trees. So I'm like, oh no. So what am I going to do? So I start calling around. Nobody has Christmas trees. Like no Christmas trees. Well, they have fake ones, but those aren't Christmas trees. So it's like, we've got to have a Christmas tree. So I end up, I mean, I'm starting to scramble around. So I end up going to Home Depot on 281 and Evans Road. No Christmas trees. So now I'm starting, like there's a little bit of fear, stress, panic, anxiety. I finally, I have to wait like 15 minutes, but I get the manager and I'm like, 
I need, I need a Christmas tree. I, I, where, where are Christmas trees? Again, he points me to the non-real Christmas trees. I'm like, I need a Christmas tree. He's like, well, I just, there's a big truckload of them. Home Depot up here, 281 and 46. Oh man, great. Well, I have to beat everybody else up there. I mean, it's 281, it's 46. Like it's, a, we have some conflict. That's okay. I have got to do this for my family. So hop in the car, race up to 281 and 46. I'm, some of y'all may have been driving that day, and if I cut you off, I'm, I'm so sorry. But I had a really good reason. But I get to Home Depot, and guess what? Still no Christmas trees. The truck never came. I, I don't know what happened. No Christmas trees. I'm, I'm really starting to panic now. So I drive across the street to Walmart. They have like two Christmas trees left. Now, the two Christmas trees that were left were left for a reason. And I, I have a choice to make. I can get this. Inc- it, was, it was a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Or, or I don't know what else I do. And have you ever been there in life? You, you know you failed. But then there's that little voice that's telling you inside like, hey, 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 just kind of dress it up. No one will notice. You ever have that one? I, I have that. I don't know how many times as a kid I break something in my house and my parents would be like, I'll just glue it together. Nobody will notice. Everybody always, is, always notices, but I, I still fall to the temptation. So I buy this thing. I get home before the rest of my family. So I'm like, okay, I have got to get home, get this thing all dressed up. Like, like Charlie Brown, by the time I put a blanket around it, everything else, it's going to be beautiful. So I get home, start decorating this thing, and I'm telling you, there's just no way you can make this thing pretty. It is just ugly. I'm turning it towards the wall to like, okay, there's like no branches on this side. So I'm going to turn it this way. I spend about an hour just trying. I I put way more lights than you need to because then it's like, if I just make it so bright, it's hard to look at, then you're not going to see that it's a mess. So my my family gets home. And one of the things I love about my kids is they're brutally honest, but it's in love. So they walk in the door and it is like within three seconds is that, is that our tree? Dad, what, what is that? Here's the thing. It's fascinating what happened in my heart in that moment. You know what I heard? You're an inadequate dad. You failed. We finally realized, all of us kids, we've taken a vote. We finally realized you're, you're inadequate. That's what I heard in my heart. It's, it's crazy. My wife comes in. Oh, that's a different tree. (laughs) What do I hear? You're a terrible husband. You're a mess. I think I finally realized that. It's taken me a while, but I think I finally realized that. So out of that, out of that lack of peace in my heart, you know what my response was? Oh, I can't believe. Do you know how hard I've worked for this tree and you guys, everybody's so ungrateful for this tree, and I have worked so hard. That's my response. And then it gets even worse because then my response, and I'm really kind of ashamed of this, because then my response is, I'm going to grab my car keys. I'm going to show all of y'all. I'm going to drive all over the state of Texas. I'll drive to Colorado if I have to. I'm going to get a 10-foot live tree with animals living in it, and it's going to be the most amazing thing you've ever seen, and I'll bring it back, and it'll probably cost me like $1,000, but I'll show you guys. I had my car keys getting ready to walk out the door to go get this thing because this was the thing that was keeping me from having peace in my heart. And finally, my wife just looks at me and she can do so much love and grace. And it's just like, what is your problem? What are you doing? Well, I I have to go get this trip. I have to go do this. Why? Well, because I've I've failed. Why do you, it's just a tree. It doesn't matter. And it was through that that I started to realize the reason for my conflict with my family had nothing to do with the external thing of this tree. It had everything to do with there wasn't peace in my heart. I was still afraid that one day they're going to see the broken self. They're going to see the mess and they're going to reject me. 
And it wasn't until I returned to put my focus on Jesus Christ that I start to realize, no, it's not about the tree. And instead of being at conflict with my family and at conflict with my own heart, I could be at peace. I could be a peaceful presence. You see, the greatest gift I learned that I could give my family in that moment was not a tree. The greatest gift I could give my family in that moment was a peaceful presence through what Jesus Christ has done in my heart. Often for many of us, this this Christmas season, the greatest gift we can give to each other, the greatest gift we can give to our families, the greatest gift we can give to our neighbors, the greatest gift we can give to our coworkers is a peaceful presence found in the work of Jesus Christ in our hearts. I close and wrap up with this. In 2004, you guys may, may be familiar with this guy. His name is Matthew Emmons. He's a rifle shooter. And he's inc- incredibly talented. You can see he's got a lot of medals. Now, unless you follow rifle shooting, you probably have never heard of this guy. But in 2004, he was leading the field. It was the 50 meter, I believe, target. And he was leading the field, just nailing it. And he had one shot to go. And if he hit this shot, all he had to do, all he had to do was hit the target. If he hit this shot, boom, medal, gold medal. So Matthew did what he does best, calmed his breathing, focused himself, looked through his scope, sighted in the target, and pulled the trigger. That bullet left that barrel flying straight center bullseye. Nailed the target. Probably couldn't have been any more perfect. But in that instant, the crowd did not respond with cheers. It was silent. Startled him. Pulled back. He also, when the bullet hits a target, there's a noise that sounds. Registering the hit, it didn't sound. He didn't know what was going on. It was after a little while that Matthew came to the realization, yeah, he shot a bullseye. It was the right shot at the wrong target. He hit the target next to him. For many of us this morning, for me this morning, when it comes to our search for peace, how many of us have been aiming our lives at the wrong target? And maybe, just maybe, the most harmful thing is that so far in our lives, it's actually working out. Maybe we have that beautiful house and beautiful family and successful kids and a great 401k. And we've got all the external circumstances set just right. Life is just so good. And for maybe some of us, this Christmas season is going to be the best Christmas season we've ever had. Filled with plenty and celebration. And that could be a really bad thing for us this morning, church. Because we hit the target. We hit the bullseye. We think we've got it. And yet we've never found peace with God through Jesus Christ. And we've never let that peace transform us internally. And at what point is it just too late when we come to that realization, we hit the bullseye, but we got it on the wrong target. Instead of peace internally through Jesus Christ, we pursued peace externally through the things of this world. Where is your heart this morning? I know for me, church family, that is a constant battle even preparing for this week, even as I walk into Christmas. These next two and a half weeks leading into Christmas, my, my heart is going to be tempted. If I just find the right set of external circumstances, I can have peace. My heart's going to be tempted. Church family, as we go into Advent, as we go into Christmas, may we focus, may we cast our eyes on the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ.
And as we go into this Christmas season, church family, may we know this and focus on this in the depths of our soul that all of this life, everything we're pursuing and chasing after and walking through and enduring is ultimately not what matters. Because just as he came once as a little baby, family, know this, he's coming again. He's coming again. And when he comes, he will bring everlasting peace. He will make all things right. He will make every painful thing gone. I love it in Revelations. There will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. Church family, take heart. Jesus is coming again. He is coming for us. He loves us deeply. He loves you deeply. He has created inside of you a new creation and that will be brought to fulfillment when he returns. And we will spend eternity celebrating, celebrating on the shores of heaven just how incredible God is, just how incredibly peaceful he is. May we find peace in that this season. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are a God of peace. And that is so reassuring to know. That in a world that is broken, in a world that is in conflict, that you're still a God of peace. And that you love us so deeply that you long to be at peace with us. Father, I pray for anyone who's sitting this morning who's just wrestling in their heart with the reality that their life is filled with conflict, that their heart is filled with conflict. Father, I pray this morning that your supernatural, miraculous peace would transform their heart. Father, I pray for the anxious souls this morning. Father, I pray that you would bring your peace. And Father, I pray that you would empower us as your followers to go be a peaceful presence in our world. That we can rest assured knowing that regardless of our circumstances, that regardless of of what may be going on in our lives, we can rest assured knowing that we have peace through you and that we are a new creation, that the old is gone away forever. Father, be with us, transform us, mold us, shape us. May we be your agents of peace in a world that is at deep conflict. We love you deeply. It's in your name we pray. Amen.